It's March 5th, and this is the Cream City Pacers Weekly Rundown. It's March Madness, baby. It's March Running Madness. I can't believe February's already over. We're on to March. Warmer weather's here. Spring's a-coming, and I love it. Welcome back to another episode, everybody. We are so glad to have you here. As always, I'm your host, Alex Main, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host and soon-to-become-dad, Apostoli Everniatis. We are here to bring you inspiring stories and talk to the Pacers who are making an impact, whether that's professional athletes, political figures, CEOs, authors, and running leaders. Apostoli. Hey, man. It's good to see you. It's good to hear you. What's up, brother? It's good to be with you. Good to be with you few thousand miles away, but always great. Always great. Always new in the world of Wisconsin. Wisconsin. We had that like fake spring last week and now it's back to being cold again, but at least the sun's been out. So it's been uh, not bad. Not bad. It was, uh, let me tell you what, it was nice enough for me to go drop the hammer Wednesday and run a half marathon. So, you know, usually you let me know, Hey, I'm going to run a half marathon uh, I'm training for a half marathon, and this time you just text me and said, "I just ran a." You you sent me the splits, awesome splits by the way. Yeah, felt, killed it. Felt good. It actually, I'll tell the story in a sec, but uh, felt in control the whole time, which I don't know if I've like ever. I was like five minutes off my PR, but felt in control the entire time. So that, that's a good feeling. I don't think I've like really done that on a run like that before, or at least not recently. So good vibes from that. So here's the deal. It was like Wednesday. Um, I had the house to myself and I was like, okay, I got to get out for a run at one point. And then I started looking through my Strava feed and I see Cousin Andy over in Madison just got done with 10 miles. I'm like, 10 miles, dang, that sounds nice. Like, good job. So I'm like, okay, I go out with, like, I'm going to do at least five. And all of a sudden I get to that. You know when you're about to go on a long run, and I've talked about this before, and you're at, like, mile three, and you're like, oh, I could run 20 miles today. This is going to be great. But you're just, like, at three miles living on some fake high. Um so really I got down to, I took the lakefront. So I got down to like by the Brady Street Bridge. I'm like, okay, well, if I come back, that's 10 miles. Uh, but here's like the kicker in the back of my mind. A uh, friend of the pod, Ben Glasspole, started this uh, a, like running challenge where you have like three months to run like six or seven different races. So it's like a 2K, a 5K, a 10K like a 15K, a half marathon. And then like you choose a race of your, of your, of your choice. And then you get so many points based on like your age and, and gender. And it's supposed to like help everyone kind of be on an equal playing field. You get points. I don't really quite understand the details because I haven't actually like looked at the details for it. But then I'm thinking, hey, if I just do three more miles, then I can do the half marathon and have my first entry into this like race competition that we're calling the hammer. So like all these like factors are coming into play. I'm like, well, and Andy ran 10 miles. So then like, okay, I really want to do it. But here's the kicker. Um, friend, my friend Rob passed me on his bike 
when I was going down Lake Drive, and he's like, hey, Alex, what's up? Like, he caught, I didn't even hear it. Like, he caught me. And I, it, like, I was like, dude, I just saw Rob when I was scrolling through my Strava feed before I ran, ran 13 miles a couple days before me. So now I'm like, dude, if I see Rob, and I'm already thinking about it, and I want to do, like, I got to make it happen. So I, like, committed to it at, like, mile eight. And I'm like, I'm doing this. We're running a half marathon, and we're going to try to keep the pressure on and keep a good pace. I was worried at, like, mile 10, I would start fading. But like I kept kept it in the eight forties, kept it around. I think my total time was eight forty, and then uh, last mile was eight twenty. Felt good, felt good, felt good. Rambled a yeah, little bit there, but felt great. Your last mile was your fastest. That's, That's always good. a win, huh? That's always a win. And man, you just ran a impromptu half marathon. You're you're the boss. You're the boss, man. Let and me- so you're doing this challenge now thing. But go ahead. You had something to say. Oh, no, please go on. Okay. So you're running this, this half marathon. You're going to do a 5k, a 2k. Who's participating in this thing? Is it a national thing or is it just a line? No, it's just like the friends of. Yeah. So some, a group, a group of friends. I actually don't, I haven't actually like, I think there's like a Google sheet or something. I haven't even gone in, so I don't really know. So maybe next week I'll come back with some answers to all these things. I know Christine is participating in it. So, uh, but it's, uh, it seems pretty fun. Maybe I'll bring back some more details later as in next week. So yeah, that felt good. I'll tell you what though. Um, my legs are still trashed and that was a couple days ago. So that means it was a good run. Um, Otherwise, Mr. Soon-to-be father, if you guys missed the breaking news last week, I was always about to become a dad at the end of March. I did get some feedback saying, Alex, I can't believe Apostoli dropped this bomb on you that he was going to be a dad. Let me tell everyone, let's settle the news. I knew this was a thing. I just didn't know when he was going to announce it on the podcast. I was leaving it up to him. I didn't want to pressure him. I knew. I was in the inn, but I was not on the inn of when it was going to be released. So there, I cleared up the air. We had yeah. some, we had some, we had some, uh, worried listeners about what, what was going on with that. I see. And yeah, sorry listeners, but Alex is, d- does get first dips and he has gotten first dips. What, <laughs> yeah. I just want to make six months ago. Yeah. I just want to make sure everyone that like, I'm cool. I'm in, I know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but, but did you yeah. have, you got, have you got, you getting any runs in or are you, is your new, is your new goal not running till the baby well, comes? I just, I've been traveling, spent a night in the, we went to the hospital for, for something. So we had to spend a few extra hours there. So I missed, I, I've been getting less sleep and that's my excuse these days, but I have to ask you, man, how am I going to do the first few months when I have to wake up a million times in the, and get the segmented sleep? How am I going to do it then? I'm complaining about not being able to run now. Then I'll have an actual baby outside of the womb. That's, that's a, that's a good Dude, question. So here's like, what did my, you do? Here's my approach with it. I like, the girls were born in, in August. So like that summer, like late spring, summer, I was just like running as many miles as I could. I was like almost like banking them in the, in the bank, in the tank, whatever. Um, and then when they came in, once, once, once your baby girl comes, it like, 
that thought of I like, oh, I'm not running enough just goes out the window. Like if you run, you run. I don't, I think I ran like maybe a week after the girls were born and it was like a cool feeling. It was like, this is my first run as a dad. Like I remember that. And then like, I kind of, I don't have any re- recollection of like me training or needing to run. Cause it's not, it wasn't like an important thing in my life. So, um, hopefully Maybe it's a good thing and you won't feel so much pressure on yourself that you need to go run. Or maybe you'll find this like newfound love for running and you'll run more. So it'll be interesting because usually at big points in your life come like changes, right, with stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Have you found that obviously after the first six months and when the babies are, you know, just very uncontrollably, you know, unpredictable right you can't you don't know what time they go to sleep what time they're going to wake up uh, crazy feeding times you have to change them all the time uh, after a while it goes into a like it kind of stabilizes, and I think it has stabilized for you and Christina right now you the girls go to bed at seven o'clock every night and I know that right like 7 a.m is is bedtime has that helped you become more segmented in in your in your daily life in your routines has that helped you establish because that's one of the hopes that i have is that by making routines happen for the kid i'll be able to force them on myself too in other areas yeah you'll quickly find out when you have a kid you definitely become more your life's more on a schedule you know it's not like when you're single or you don't have any kids you can just like go do whatever you want, whenever you want, for however long you want. But when you have a kid, you're like, we got a nap from 11 to one, and that's my window to do these three things. <laughs> so like either don't bother me or like this is the only time I can function and have my you have my intention, for example. So I think uh, you'll, find, you'll find that. Though you say like they sleep, eat, you don't really know. Like they're, she'll be on a schedule right away. She's going to sleep so many hours. She's going to wake up. She's going to eat. She's going to feed. She's going to poop. She's going to sleep. So there's always a routine. It just, it just changes, right? Like you, you said the girl's bedtime is seven o'clock. Once they, once they start sleeping through the night, then it's like a whole different game. Like, mm-hmm. let me tell you what, you're always tired. You'll always be tired. If you're tired now, you're going to be tired until they're 19 and leave the house. <laughs> but, um, sleeping through the night, I would say this is a game changer What that. And you hear things different people, you know, some kids are like sleeping through the night at like two weeks, but, uh, I think it's like five months or so. But just take it all in because every month's a different phase of life with new yeah. fun challenges. And and not to go on the subject too long because it wasn't part of the plan, just like the announcement last week. But you hear all the time people saying it goes by fast. Like it goes by fast. Enjoy it. Well, I had somebody, a friend of mine just said, you know, I have an eight-year-old daughter and I now you're telling me that you're going to have a daughter and I'm getting emotional because I, it feels like yesterday and where did that time go? So we have to be in the moment and we have to, like, I can see myself saying, Oh, I can't wait until the kid, you know, stops crying at night or stops waking up in the middle of the night or, um, but maybe that's going to mean that time will go by or I can't wait until they're not pooping in their pants. <laughs> not like, and, and, going on their own. I don't have to deal with that, but I'm sure like just wishing for time to speed up 
so that you can get more convenience out of a few things. Uh, it's probably something I can see myself regretting later on. Yeah. Quickly, one more thing on that. You, uh, every Please. time you every time you want something to change, there's always a change for the good and there's always something else that comes with it. Let me give you an example. Um, I can't wait to be done changing diapers. Okay, great. Now you don't have to change diapers. You tra- you potty trained your kid. Just because your kid knows how to pee on the potty does not mean they're going to pee on the potty every time, all the time. You're talking pee on the couch, poop on the floor, right? So because you were looking forward to that, now brings you a whole new set of like things that you're like, okay, once they're done with this, then it'll be good. And then it'll be good. It's like, no, man, it's just always, it's just always something else that comes with it. Yes. So and take it. It's going to be old enough to date. Don't, oh, okay. We'll don't, talk don't about that in, in like six years on this podcast, <laughs> but okay. Change of subjects, big breaking news, breaking news. So it's Friday the 5th. Um, so this is like pre-breaking news, but the Pettit Center is back open. The track is back open. That is right. You heard me starting March 8th, 2021, which is this coming week. You can now work out at the Pettit Center. Uh, a couple of things. You can head over to their website at thepettit.com, but I'm just kind of reading this. They're going to have a strict maximum number of people per session. So 40 people, first come, first serve. Just remember that you have to wear a mask at all time and you have to maintain social distancing. So that basically means you can't run in packs. You got to run by yourself. You have to socially distance when you're running, as in passing people, giving them their space. So uh, sounds kind of like a nightmare, but... Uh, <laughs> Hold on a second. 40 people? 40 or 14? 40. 40, including the ones in the ice rinks. No, no, no. This is just this track. This is just track. I don't yeah, think yeah, I've yeah. ever seen more than more than 25 people. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's, it's so, so big and people are like stretching and doing other workouts. I, I guess I don't really know um, what a number is. But um, let's see here. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. And while you're looking for that, uh, oh, that's it. Please, that's it. Please. Go check it out. It's open. It's, it's a, open again. As a courtesy reminder, just in case it's been too long that you've been on a track or specifically that track, it only has two lanes. Please stay on the right. You're not as fast as you think, most likely. Somebody <laughs> will pass you. Yes. Lesson that's just like track etiquette. We should just have an episode about track etiquette. I love that people come to the track and walk and fast walk and do stuff on the track, but like, you can't be walking with someone next to you in the first two lanes. Like, go, you got to get to the end. I get it. You're out here. That track etiquette. That always annoys me. Like, yep. I'm not fast, and I always keep my head on a swivel uh, if I'm in lane one. <laughs> okay. Yes. Or And listen to past week's episode with Joe Vitrano, and, and you can hear about how his son, Vince Vitrano, yes, the famous Vince Vitrano in Milwaukee, um, what he does when he goes to the track. Don't do that either. <laughs> forgot about that. That was a good story. Uh, that was a great episode with Joe. Um, really cool news. I came home uh, the other day and the new Runner's World article was just sitting on the table, which was beautiful. Uh, and guess who was on the cover? Or now who's on the cover? It was a shoe, but guess who was like the main story? I know already. 
<laughs> I know. That was a rhetorical question. Corey Waltering, past guest of the show. He had a feature for um, setting the FKT. F- I'll never be able to say that right. Like, you always have to edit that, so I say it correctly. The fastest known time on the Ice mm-hmm. Age Trail, uh, which is pretty cool. So now we're going to go down the rabbit hole for a second on the runner's world. So Corey was in it. Tania Rennell and Fear was in it a couple months ago, back in October. Um, the shoe on Runner's World is Puma, who is sponsoring Molly Seidel. So, like, there is this intense connection with our community and Runner's World. I told you, Milwaukee is going to be the best running city, and these are little small things that are happening to make this happen. And I think it's absolutely beautiful. And you guys should all think that is as cool as I think it is. It is. It is. Okay. And, and so, we were mentioned in it. Should we say that? Should we say the Cream City Pacers was actually the words cream and then the word city and Pacers all together in that order were actually mentioned in the um, Runner's World magazine briefly by the by the people of fear, which we Superly appreciate. It's a great start. That 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 is cool. I I told Renal and Tania that was awesome that they gave us a shout out. That was greatly appreciated. Those guys rock. I love those guys. Um, you know what? We're like 17 minutes into this intro and we haven't even talked about our guest yet. Jill, I feel like we left you hanging until right now. We have an amazing guest for you today, Jill Summers. Um, so she comes at the request of uh, Tina Jones the executive director of Girls on the Run. Uh, if you guys remember from that episode, Tina used Jill to kind of as her coach when she first kind of got into um, competitively running, I'll call it, and really helped change uh, Tina's life. Tina actually replaced Jill's like teaching position at one of the gyms and uh, Tina helped train her mother to do a race. And it's just was like a really cool story. And we we're really excited that we're, that Jill, um, is able to come on. This is great. Jill's actually in Colorado, Boulder, Colorado. I know from talking to her, it's been like her life dream to be out there. That's what she's been working for. So Jill's joining us from Colorado, which I'm kind of jealous of. That sounds beautiful right now. She's probably staring at the mountains waiting for us to talk to her. So let's, uh, let's bring Jill on unless you have anything else, Apostoli. No, let's bring Jill on. All right, let's do this. Today, we are joined by Jill Summers, certified performance coach with over 30 years of coaching experience. And we are here today to talk to to you about how you can make the gap between sport and life and find the person you want to become through the process of sport. Jill, welcome to the Cream City Pacers podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Happy Uh, to be here. Well, we are happy that you are here because you come at the high recommendation of Tina Jones past guest of the show who we had on just a few weeks ago and we had an awesome interview with her and we're really excited to talk to you and uh today jill you are joining us all the way out in boulder colorado which is a little bit different usually we talk to people in milwaukee but the kicker is is you've only been in boulder for about three years so you just moved out of milwaukee it's kind of crazy, but uh, let's hear a little bit about you. Uh, if you want to give us a little overview about like how you kind of got to got into becoming a performance coach. Yeah, you know, I've been coaching since I was 19. I actually started as a track coach in college 
And I, I love it. I don't know if any of you ever have those words that people say that light you up. Mine has always been coach. I've always had this affinity for coaches and for the things that they do for people. And um, one of the other words that always lit me up was Boulder. And so (laughs) to be in Boulder now in my later years and be a coach uh, sort of feels like a dream come true. Wow, that's amazing. And before we um, started the interview, you said that since you were a little girl, you wanted to move out to Boulder. It's like was part of your goals and you you made that happen for a lot of people. I feel like they would be like, you know, okay, someday. And then that never happened. So that's super exciting. And I think that's a part of you being a coach and and helping people, you know, for the last 30 years. And that's really, you know, it's just part of who you are. So that's super cool. So at the age of 19, you started coaching. That's super young. How did you get, how did that come about? Uh, I was in college for exercise science and part of the curriculum is to do what's called a practicum, like a practicum in teaching. And I chose to do my practicum in coaching and worked with Middleton High School, which is just outside of Madison. And um, that was the start of my official coaching. But prior to that, I was already working in the field of fitness. And um, I, I've always loved activity. I was active as a young girl. I played sports and got into dancing and horseback riding and um, just being in my body and active was really, really important to me. Um, after college, I ended up going into fitness full time and worked in fitness for 25 years, something like that. And uh, I, I'm actually still uh, doing a little bit in the fitness industry, although my coaching has shifted gears. I used to I used to coach um, the physical part of the person and then intertwined mental, emotional and spiritual. And now I'm more um, mental, emotional, spiritual and intertwining fitness because mm-hmm. they all have to go together. You can't have one without the others and still um, experience a balanced life. Yeah, that's very true. And, and I'm on my own personal journey learning that, that those are not siloed things, that it's a cohesive part of who you are and who I am, and they all need to kind of flow together. Did you like have that understanding at a young age when you got into coaching or was there like somebody or something that really kind of opened up your eyes to bringing those all together? You know, when I when I was in fitness at the in those beginning years, there was always this calling inside of me that was like, you know, it's not just about getting in shape to be in that bikini for spring break or, um, you know, for summertime. Um, There's so much more to this. But I wasn't quite certain what that was until I got into um, a program called Spiritual Psychology. It was in Milwaukee. And I did this three-year program where we actually incorporated meditation, um, insight coaching. We did some Jungian work, some Freudian work. We did a lot of self-reflection on our own life's journey. And it all started clicking. And then after I completed that, about I don't know, five years later or so, I went back for another master's degree in counseling psychology. And that was in an um, creative arts called dance movement therapy. So it's therapy, but using movement, using somatic experience. And so now it was really starting to come together. And I was 
able to shift the way in which I was coaching and training people using the whole mind and the body. And that part, that was really exciting for me. That sounds super exciting. Like now dance therapy, when you're doing this, was that a popular thing when you're going to school or was this kind of like... I don't, I don't know how to say it, like almost indie type of a way to look at this stuff. The creative arts are what many people would call alternative, although we would say this has been more natural than um, regular arts or regular therapy or Western therapy. Um, But you're right. It was not very popular. In fact, there were only five universities or colleges in the United States that offered this program. And at the the one that I went to was in Chicago. So I was living in Milwaukee and commuting down to Chicago uh, at the time. And um, it was very, it was very interesting. In fact, it's not at that college any longer. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's super interesting. When, when, so you're learning all this stuff and obviously you're in fitness or you're probably, were you running yourself at this time? Were you, I let's go back. Were you running all through life or did you, were you kind of like in fitness and sports and then running kind of came at one point? In high school, I was a state sprinter. Anything over 200 meters was like cross country for me. And (laughs) (laughs) so I, you know, I want to, I liked going short and quick and hard and then being done. Um, And then after that, I taught aerobics and I couldn't run and teach aerobics because it was too much high impact. And honestly, when group exercise came back into, or when it started in fashion, the, the running industry sort of dropped off. But Mm -hmm. then what I found is later um, in my, I guess, 30s, after group exercise had really um, started to wane a little bit, running seemed to really pick up. So, you know, that would have been, um, what, in the 90s, mid 90s. But um, then I started getting really excited about running and a couple friends of mine did a sprint triathlon. And I was like, gosh, if they can do that, I think I could give that a whirl. And I did. And I fell in love with it. I absolutely loved being outside, getting out of the gym. You know, I was sort of the gym rat, um, getting outside and being with other people. And um, I just, I love being around happy people. And There were really happy people at sprint triathlons. You know, they get done. They're on their high. It was sunny out. There was loud music playing. And um, I got bit by the bug. And that became my my big joy. And I uh, stopped teaching um, high impact aerobics so that I could do triathlon, which, of course, includes running. And I assume where did that lead you to from doing sprints? Well, that led me to doing Ironman, uh, which I said I would absolutely never do because go back to high school. And when I was in high school, anything over 200 meters was cross country, long distance. I couldn't I, I don't do long distance. And uh, ironically, what happened is over about an eight year period of time, I started to shift from I could never do an Ironman to, oh no, I have to do an Ironman, but I don't know when or how. And 
Seven years later, I signed up for my first one, and a year after that, I completed my first one in Madison. Nice, Madison. I feel like if you live if you live in Wisconsin, Madison is is, is your always usually the go-to. That is absolutely incredible, and I I say the same thing you did of man, Iron Man. I don't know if I can do that nor want to do that, but it's amazing to see that. And how many have you completed? I've done five. That's awesome. Kudos. That's so impressive. Thank you. Were they all Madison? I did three in Madison, and then I did one in Switzerland and one in Mallorca, Spain. Whoa, what got you traveling internationally to do those? Um, you know, I the, the first race, of course, was really exciting because it was my first and it was proving my limiting thoughts wrong. You know, my limiting thoughts were I can never do something that big. And just taking on this internal challenge was incredibly exciting. And then the second year I did it, it was also exciting, but it had lost a bit of its sort of pizzazz. And then I took a year off and then I went, you know, I kind of want to do another one, but I need to find a reason for it to elevate in excitement. A friend of mine lived in Switzerland and she said, guess what? There's a Ironman race here. It's an hour from my house. Why don't you come? And I went, well, that would add some pizzazz. So, yep, I I went to Switzerland. It was a great time. I had some friends from the States that actually came with and uh, my boyfriend was with and it was it was really exciting. And then again, I took another year off and then I decided to do my fifth and final for my 50th birthday. And I wanted again. Oh, I'm sorry. There was another one in there that was in Madison. And um, my my father had passed that year about six months prior to the race. And he used to come in and watch at a very specific spot, which was close to where I grew up in Verona. And he would come and sit on this hill. And it was just always exciting um, for him to be a part of that. And I remember coming around a corner just before I was about to hit that hill and thinking, dad's going to be there. And of course, he wasn't. But it was crazy because I saw a guy standing on the hill that looked exactly like him. And it was like, ah, the heavens are smiling upon me. So that was that was really special. But then I ended up doing my fifth and final in Mallorca for my 50th birthday. At what point was what point in the race were you was your dad around at what spot like at what point in the race would you say it was? Yeah, so the the bike course in Madison is a what we call a dog leg, and then it does two loops. And so um, he was on the portion where it's two loops, and it's going up a really really tough hill after two previous tough hills, and um, we call them the three sisters. This was the third sister of those, and he was he's usually right there on that that part. So the mileage was about mile forty five and ninety. Wow. It, the reason I ask is because I mean Alex and I we've done marathons. Alex has a a goal to do a fifty k this year uh, around the city of Milwaukee. We've we haven't even gotten close to something as hard as an Ironman. Uh, we'd like to think I, I did the Athens Marathon a couple of years ago in in Athens, Greece, the original route, supposedly. Uh, and just the emotions when something so hard, it was extremely hard for me. It was one third of the race was uphill. And just during that, um, I, I, I just would get emotional about the littlest things. So I, I really want to dive in on 
the spirituality aspect. Alex and I probably both are like, let's get through the the introductory part. And I'm sure our listeners too is like, we want to hear more about the spiritual part. And we just got a little glimpse of, um, you know, how the way that you think of you know, with your father not being there. How do you deal with that? with with those aspects while you're running because my my first intuition is when when I'm in that state is just to stop and sit in a corner and you know you know let those emotions rise how what what's going where can we even start with that subject but I'll let you take it away you're yeah yeah I think you bring up a really good question and it's a piece that a lot of people uh, I think miss in sport because they think you just have to be all in your body and override everything else and I think that that's a real mistake because it's a full journey when you let yourself experience all of it you're letting yourself experience your your thoughts and your feelings and recognizing that sport has this amazing capacity to help you grow into a more well-rounded, profound person. And so to specifically answer your question, how do you handle those emotions when they come up? I'll, I'll share with you. I was coming around the corner and about to go up this hill. I was sobbing and I go, okay, you cannot sob and breathe hard at the same time. So you have to choose one or the other. And so I said, no sobbing until I can get to the top and actually catch my breath. But uh, one of the things I did in that moment is I just, I literally tapped in and I was saying, dad, if you're there, you know, I'd love to feel you. I could use you behind me right now. I could use your, you as a tailwind right now. And that actually helped comfort me emotionally. Um, I think allowing ourselves and recognizing the emotions that do come up while we're in sport, especially when we're doing something that really takes us to the next level is, is really important. And it's, it's, um, It's not a sign of weakness, unfortunately, like a lot of people would say that it is, but actually a sign of strength that says, I'm willing to take in this entire experience and not just um, whipping myself over the back to do more, more, more. And, and being in touch with those emotions is so important, um, recognizing them. And I want to say, uh, my I'm sorry for your loss. I know it's been a while now, but I'm sorry for your loss. And you know that grief is actually. I, I just heard a a great quote last night from the most unassuming TV show um, that grief is nothing but love persevering. And it's you know how how to handle those emotions. Many of us shy away from how to how to deal with them. And the reason why I bring that up. Um, Jill is I've I've started to see the links between accepting emotions and and accepting uh the you know the struggles of training the emotions and the thoughts that come in your brain that tell you stop that tell you you can't do this you're not good enough do you see a link between those those two, like the negative emotions, the positive emotions, the emotions of grief, um, how we deal with them. I've, is there is there a link and does it help to train yourself to deal with one? If you 
deal with one of those emotions, it helps you deal with the other ones better too. Absolutely. In fact, in my coaching work, I do a lot of work around emotions and a couple of things to clean up with the emotional world is that there are no negative emotions. All of our emotions are incredibly valuable and they're all telling us something. I like to think of our emotions as an internal compass. And I talk about our emotions. We have four major emotions. A lot of us think we have a zillion. You know, you see those posters with a variety of, you know, different faces and and there's a title underneath each of them. Right. But Mm -hmm. when you funnel all those down to the major emotions, there are only four. There's mad, sad glad and scared. And each one of those are telling us something. They're telling us if we're in alignment or out of alignment. Think about it. If you're mad, it's telling you that something isn't quite right. Something has set you off. You're you're not in alignment. So you, the question might be, well, what is alignment? Alignment is anything that, that puts you in a position of feeling joy. Because that is the ultimate goal for all of us. That's why we're here. We're here to live a life of joy. And mad tells us that we're out of alignment. Sad tells us that, um, again, we're out of alignment. We're, we're not uh, moving in the direction of our joy. It's a little different feeling. It tends to be a lower energy than mad. Mad tends to elevate us. Sad tends to de-escalate us. Um, and then we have scared Scared also tells us that we're out of alignment and it tends to put us more into a worry or an anxiety place. And then we have glad and glad's like, yes, you've done it. You're here. You're going the right way. And so I like to help simplify our emotional components into those. And so in any given moment, we're always feeling one of those emotions or a combination. So you ask, how do our thoughts then uh, fall into alignment with our emotions? Emotions are started first by a thought. The thought happens first, and then there's an emotional connection. And what happens when there's an emotional connection is there are literally chemicals that are released into the body, and it becomes this link. And so we have a thought that might say, and this comes up a lot when we're doing hard things like, you know, I suck. I can't do this. I can't go any further. Why didn't I train harder? And the thoughts begin to attract other like thoughts. And one of the things I actually coach my athletes, because I still coach um, Ironman athletes, is that they need to connect or they need to attach to those thoughts right away. Like notice them at the beginning, because if you don't, they will continue to magnetize more thoughts just like them. And now you've gone down into a negative space spiral into a very, what we call a low vibration spiral. And that's now sending off chemicals into the body and the body registers it as, oh, this must be real. This is real. I really do stink at this. I really can't do this. And then it sends the chemicals back up to the brain and the brain says, oh, well, if the body's on board, then this must be real. And now we have a loop, a pattern that says, yep, this is real. And what happens then is the body will respond. It will slow down. It might get stomach cramps. 
It might begin to get um, muscular cramps. You've all experienced that. Mm-hmm. Your breath shortens because the breath, the body now is in stress mode, which causes the breath to shorten. The minute your breath shortens, the body registers it as stress. And so now we have a continued loop, a continued pattern. So uh, one of the things you can do to get yourself to back out of that is to recognize those thoughts when they start and go, you take a deep breath to actually reverse the cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you've stopped it and you get to replace it with something that actually is going to work for you. You can remember a really hard workout you had. You go, oh, remember that 15 miler that I did? That was hard, but I got through that. Wow. I, I, I've done hard things before. I can do that. And I did that hard thing. And, and then I remember this other hard thing that I did. And so now you can start building the positive emotional or the higher emotional experience And that sends off a whole other series of chemicals into the body, which is really exciting. Now you are the one who's in total control of your experience. And that, that's a lesson that I learned many years ago. I'm sorry, Alex. I'm, I'm, we're both so interested in this subject. Well, let me just jump, Um, let me jump in because I I know you're going to say something. I just want to give an example. I was training for like Lakefront Marathon last summer and there were so many times on my run where it was a long run on a Saturday and after like five miles, I went, I just ended up at a walking pace and it's like, how did I get here? And it's like, oh, like excuses started coming, but that started from what you're talking about a mile before that with those thoughts coming in my head and everything you just said is what my body went through and what I ended up. And it seems like if you don't think about it enough and do what you're saying, you can be defeated very easy and like just have that end there where you can actually stop that or not necessarily stop it, but you know, help identify it and work your way through it almost I've been calling it like, how do I digest these thoughts that are coming through and how can I handle them in certain ways? And you basically just nailed it on the head perfectly. So I want to say from experience, yeah, it can be tough when you let that actually overcome you and it defeats you. Yeah, I'm curious how you backed out of it. That's what I was going to say. I walked home. I did not back oh, out of it. Okay. That's where I'm ending this at. Well, I guess what I'm saying is I think I was so defeated by the time I realized I was walking. It was almost, it was like too late. Like it was like, uh-huh. okay, we're just going to like put it, we're going to today, today's over. Let's go home and do and reevaluate and do this tomorrow or later. A couple times I actually did the run later in the day, um, but I have started to be self-aware that like, okay, why are these things happening? You know, like when you go, I read Alexi Pappas's book recently, if you guys have read that. And she talks about like, Hey, you're going to go run a marathon or you're going to run your race and it's going to hurt. There will be pain. I have to teach myself that I need to, how do I handle the pain? How do I digest the pain? And how do I overcome this? Because it's just pain. It's not like my legs broke. I can get through this. And that, that like really opened up a door for me to be like, oh, wow, I, there's a lot here that you need to figure out in your head to help go through this. So I'd love to hear more about this. But Apostoli, I cut you off. Jill and Alex, I'm glad you brought that up because our you know, there's so many directions we can go. And I had something to say, but now you you reminded me of something else, which is that many times I catch myself when I'm pushing through those emotions and i'm trying to say you know the 
I don't know where we learn to do that, but maybe we see it in the movies, the person that is angry and is going to get determined and say, well, I'm going to push through all these terrible emotions or like, I'm not scared. I'm going to convince myself that I'm not scared, that I'm not mad or whatever. Just go against that and push through. That's when I typically see myself burn more easily uh, instead of just acknowledging and saying, I'm mad, I'm scared. Um, I learned that actually even before starting to run when I would have to go in front of a big group of people and do a talk. I would, I realized that whenever I would tell myself, no, no, I'm not scared. I got this. I would go in front of the mirror and t- convince myself that I'm not scared. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm good at this. I'm. Uh, those were the times that I would fail. And when I started telling myself that I'm scared, I'm scared. And just, I'm scared. Within a minute, I'd be, it'd be gone and I'd be on that stage rocking it. So, and I make it sound like I'm some kind of like musician or just public speaker, but there were just a few instances where, where, where that happened to me. So, uh, would you say that that's accurate, Jill, that, you know, how have you seen it with your athletes and, and the people you've dealt with? Yeah. So first of all, you know, congratulations on being able to talk yourself out of it. That's that's really key. And and I like that you were able to do that because every time you do that, you're building the evidence that you're able to talk yourself out of it and take yourself in the direction where you want to go. Um, there is something that that we could do to up level this, and that is to train your brain to go towards what you want as opposed to away from what you don't want. So in that in that situation, when you were nervous to go on stage, something you might consider doing is rather than saying, I'm not scared, I'm not scared, I'm not scared, which is actually embedding fear. (laughs) Instead, reminding yourself, you know what? I'm pretty cool. Like, I've got a great message to share. These people in the audience are going to really enjoy the message that I'm having. I'm going to feel so good after this. This is going to be so exciting. I'm just really jazzed up and ready to get out there. Yeah, I'm feeling a little bit of fear, but but that's just getting me ready for the task at hand. Feel the difference. Mm-hmm. So, I feel so, the difference. Yeah. And I'm not even going on stage right now. That's <laughs> such a mindset shift. And it's... Yeah. It's it seems so easy, but yet it can be so difficult. It can be so the, difficult. The key, if, if you were to just really pare this down and summarize it, the key is to go towards what you want. Go towards what you want rather than away from what you don't want. So we're moving away from what you didn't want in that situation was fear. Instead, go towards I want the joy. I want the excitement. There's another really valuable piece here that I want to share, and that is the body registers fear and excitement exactly the same way. Think about this. When you've been excited in the past, how do you feel? Like, let's say you're going to Great America and you're going to be riding roller coasters and you're really excited. Like, what are you experiencing in your body? Um, your heart's racing. You got butterflies. 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 It's almost like... I, I don't Yeah. Yeah. So now uh, go back to your experience with going on stage. What were you feeling in your body? Nerves. Same thing. Exc- right. just, Same we're just thing. explaining it in a different way. Nerves instead of exciting yeah. butterflies. They're still yeah. there. So mm. the registration in the body is identical. What what creates the shift is how your brain is labeling it. 
So if even in that moment, you can shift the brain. And so this is one of the things I coach my athletes because one of the, the uh, most challenging times in, for example, a triathlon or a marathon is before it starts and you've got that precipitatory anxiety that's elevated. And if you can instead say, this is exciting, like I'm feeling excitement and, and these are the, this is the energy I need to get me to elevate to this next challenge as opposed to, oh my God, I'm really scared. Oh my God, I'm really nervous. What am I doing here? Really? I paid for this? <laughs> you know, all of those, those uh, messages. <laughs> I, I cannot tell you how many uh, triathlons I stood in that cold water getting ready to start and I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? <laughs> I paid for this? And, and you have the whole race ahead of you too. So if you have that mindset, you're in a, in a tough spot. Yeah. Um, And, and I, it immediately shuts your breath down and causes your digestive system to constrict and everything begins to constrict. So you're not setting yourself up very well for success in that moment. Joe. So back in 2000, I want to say it was 2015 is when I started taking a path towards a healthier lifestyle. I was a smoker for 10 years. I just had a very negative attitude about things and life in general. I, I wasn't so much of a pusher, um, you know, pushing myself. And through some circumstances, I was subjected to people, uh, good influencers. Uh, and one of them mentioned the whole idea of the feeling uh, the the thought turning into a feeling so it always starts at a thought and they they gave me some tools at the time said you you know you need to s- catch those thoughts before they become emotions um and because life was just passing by me i was being very mindless right so basically he helped me uh this friend to help me become more mindful uh and through par- practices the problem is it's been six years and I haven't really heard that since then. And I kind of forgot it. You just reminded me. And I cannot rely on chance of being reminded by Jill or my friend or somebody else or a podcast that I listen to. And what practices would you recommend? And what ways have you found that are good reminders? Obviously, with you, you have your athletes. They, they're in constant touch with you and you remind them. But do you, have you found any other ways that we can embed this in our minds so deeply that you don't forget it? You bring up such a really, uh, such a valuable point, And that is how can we uh, begin to make mindfulness a part of our daily practice? It's just a daily part of our life in everything we do, whether it's running or triathlon or you're at work or you're serving somebody or you're standing in the grocery line, you know, irritated at the person in front of you with a handful of coupons. Uh, But really going back to what what you said is that it is a daily practice. I want to emphasize that it is a daily practice and it's it's repetition, repetition, repetition. You know, we know that the brain we know now better than ever that the brain is malleable until the day we stop using it. In other words, it will continue to grow and expand and shift. And we have synapses that um, the the more we repeat, repeat, repeat a particular thought, those synapses become fired. We talk about uh, what um, fires together, wires together. So the more we think it, the more it is embedded. 
Um, but the really cool thing too is that when we stop firing them, when we stop thinking particular thoughts and we start thinking something else, those synapses literally disintegrate and go away. So what does that mean? It means that we won't always have to work so hard at not thinking perhaps a thought that although it's been repetitive for many, many years, it's no longer working for us. And the minute we choose, I'm not going to think that thought anymore. And we stop fueling it. We stop giving it any attention. It will eventually disintegrate. And now it's not because about willpower. Now it's about um, replacing it with that other thing that serves you better. So that's just reiterating the, the piece that you said, which is practice, 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 practice. And so if you're asking for something very specific, uh, I always say the number one answer is breath. Going back mm. to your breath, taking in big, full, deep breaths through your nose and a big exhale out of your mouth. I have my UWM students do a really fun practice. And um, after a couple a couple classes of practicing their breath, uh, we want to begin to bring that out into their daily living. And so every time they see a stop sign, I ask them to slow down and take a deep breath. Mm hmm. So the point is, is finding the thing, the symbol, the icon you can use to help remind you to come back. So the, the very first piece is your breath. And then I would encourage, come back to what am I experiencing right now in this moment? Right now in this moment, you might even ask, what emotion am I experiencing? Or which combination of emotions am I experiencing right now? And if we were to bridge this gap into sport, one of the things I have my athletes do is every 10 minutes, I have them check in. What do I need? Do I need hydration? Do I need nutrition? Do I need thoughts? Do I need technique? Do I need form? Mm -hmm. So uh, bringing that back to life, you could, you could create a, a list like that for yourself. Every half hour, maybe check in. What do I need right now? I need if if my life goal is to live in a place of more regular joy what do I need right now to help me feel more joy sometimes it's just a change of perspective of how you're thinking you know a lot of us get wrapped up in oh I hate work I hate work I gotta go to work and so the before your feet even hit the floor when you get out of bed in the morning you've already talked yourself into doing something you don't want to do one of the things you can do in shifting that perspective is make a list of what do you like about work? Maybe you like your coworkers or you like that your day is short or you like yep. where, yeah, whatever that Glass might be. Glass half full. Glass yep. is half full. And so paying attention to the thoughts that you're continuing to feed yourself on a regular basis is really key. Again, now we're going back to the physiology of the brain and the synapses that are being used over and over and over again. You get to choose. We have to remember that we are the ones in control of our lives, not your boss, not your wife, not your mom, not your dad, not your the messages your teacher told you. The other one I would say, and, and you you mentioned it just a couple minutes ago, you said that you were inspired by some people around you. And I would say that is another piece is to surround yourself with people who help you elevate. You know, they say we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. So I love that you guys are doing this podcast. You're sharing really positive messages for people out there. Sometimes they don't necessarily have the 
people in body that they can hang out with, but they can listen to positive messages like this. So if you don't have those people, perhaps watch positive movies, watch positive, you know, read positive books, listen to positive podcasts. And before long, you're going to start attracting people into your life that are going to suit your needs and help you elevate. Absolutely. And, and that's where podcasting is so important. And speaking of the brain, um, what I have found is that the brain that cannot tell the difference of a person being right next to you telling you things and somebody in your earpiece from across the world talking, uh, having two people basically having a discussion on a podcast. Uh, and I found that you know, even in periods of my life that being too busy and not being in a place where I had access to inspiring people just out of circumstance, right? We, we all fall down that path. We're too busy with work, especially now during COVID. We're not able to interact with people, um, you know, outside, socialize, uh, or maybe just get unlucky or maybe you're not a very social person. So you're not able to find these very inspiring people uh, to have in your life. Uh Having podcasts in my life and listening to uh, my personal favorite is Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss, the Tim Ferriss podcast. Uh, Alex loves Rich Roll. They bring over these individuals that are world class at what they do. And and I'm just sitting there while getting ready in the, in the uh, for for my day uh, while taking a shower. I'm listening to these people and it's just getting embedded. And as I said, the brain has no idea that these people are not there next to you. So it's a way to uh, reinforce that five people, you know, who do you associate with most? I, I'd like to think that I associate with Tim Ferriss. <laughs> but anyway, um, going back to the breath, Jill, uh, the breath, yes, I have found too that it's very, for some reason, even if I do a breath, 10 breaths in the morning, I catch myself being more alert and more in the moment. When I do one hour sessions of meditation, I go through that sometimes, like every once in a while, I do like an hour long for three days in a row. And it's just my mind explodes and it and lasts for a few weeks, it feels like, but then I get out of the habit. My question to you is, it's been millennia, I would say, right? Centuries since people have been experimenting with the breath and, you know, from Buddhism, you know, the Eastern uh, philosophies talk about the breath and connecting to your breath. But now there's the science that is backing up all these things that these crazy gurus that, you know, the West said, oh my God, don't believe these, you know, this for hippies. Um, that, that science is proving what these people have been saying for millennia. Um, how is the world of biofeedback right now? Is that something that you're involved in at all? I know that heart rate variability, for example, and being able to connect that. How is that world going? And are you are you exercising that connection in, in the world of sport? I, I have to say uh, I am giggling at myself a little bit because um, I, I have this phrase which says, the body has known what's great for it for your entire life. And every, everybody's bodies have known this for thousands of years. And so the piece about science now being able to validate it uh, drives me crazy. 
because <laughs> come on, why can't we just trust our, you know, what feels good in our bodies? So, um, it's 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 sort of a, a double-edged sword for me. I love that we can validate it for those people who are really science-oriented and they don't trust anything unless it can be quantified. Uh, and then at the same time, I'm, I I want to say stop thinking that way and you know really trust and have faith in your body. Uh, so that was a very long lead into I don't do much with biofeedback, to be quite honest. I know that there are uh, people who, who do do that uh, out in the world, but um, I haven't done a whole lot of that. So I'm not sure I could speak very intelligently about it at this point. Uh, my, my wife's doctor says that people that tell you that the numbers matter are the ones that are selling you stuff that measure the numbers. Uh. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good line. That is a good good line. I used to do um, gas exchange VO2 max testing uh, Mm -hmm. for running and and biking. And we had the the mask and we would uh, register at which point they got into their anaerobic threshold. And then we were able to establish, quote unquote, uh, accurate heart rate zones. And the interesting thing is in about five years ago, I was taught a uh, different format, a very subjective measurement, which was how is your body feeling at different heart rate zones? And it was incredibly accurate. And so, you know, you take away the science and you listen to the body and you can actually create some really significant uh, connections. Yeah, that's that's absolutely wonderful. Um so speaking of like, you know, testing the VO2 max and the, the different type of like coaching you've done, <clears throat> what have you seen uh, like through the years kind of make the most impact for your athletes that they've been able to take away and kind of implement in their training to help them maybe go to the next level or maybe, you know, become basically for them to reach their goals? I would say it's that connection. It's that mind body connection. It's being able to listen to what they're experiencing in their body and trust it. You know, a lot of times my athletes, um, especially Ironman athletes, because you have to you have to do so much. You know, you have to swim and you have to bike and you have to run and you have to do a lot of it to build that uh, endurance system. Uh, they they have the tendency to overwork themselves. And so when they get sick, they move through the sickness, they continue to train through the sickness, and then it takes them longer to recover. Um, that's just an example or an, or an injury. And I really encourage them to, instead of overriding the messages that the body is telling them, actually listen, listen mm-hmm. and, and pay attention you know, give back to the body what it needs in this moment. That might be rest. It might be icing. It might be stretching. It might be a massage. And it's probably going to give them greater advances than going out and running another five miles. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a way to know when when you're listening to your body or you're listening to excuses? Because I feel like I sometimes don't know if like, Hey, am I really exhausted? Is it a rest day or am I just making an excuse for myself? 
You know, I think that's a really good question. I think that's the question that everybody asks because that's the trust part, right? That's the mm-hmm. faith part. Like, how do I really trust what I'm hearing here? And part of it is uh, comes with experience. And I highly recommend all athletes to journal, um, always writing down what your what your workouts are, writing down your subjective experiences of that workout. Did you feel energized? Did you feel depleted? Um, did you get a burst of energy five miles in, uh, what was happening before your workout? So Alex, I wanted to circle back with you and you, you don't have to answer this question, but my, my inquiry is what was going on for you during that workout when you got it five miles in and you ended up having to walk home, what was going on for you prior to the workout? You know, were you well rested? Were you hydrated? Were you nourished? Were you stressed at work? Were you already going through negative thought process patterns? Yeah. You know, it's probably a combination of all those things where I would probably say that the day before those thoughts were coming to my head and it was, let's say like, say this, let's say it's a Saturday, rough day at work leads to having pizza for dinner the night before a long run, which leads to probably not eating the right food and staying hydrated and waking up with not a great attitude of, okay, it's hot out already. And those, I, I, looking back now, I see how those things kind of escalate together. And at the time, you don't, those thoughts are just going through your head, right? And it's almost like, it was just the mindset I was in. And after, you know, hearing you, it's, it's a shift in those thoughts could probably have made a huge change on those because I was capable of running those, that workout. It was not the issue. It was almost the mental side of it and having those thoughts that really just pulled me down. So it can make a Im- big impact and I saw it happen and it's, it's, it's crazy to think about cause it's like, Oh, okay. You easily can just say, this is like, man, the humidity was hot. It was 9am and it felt like, you know, 85, but like you still can get through that workout, you know? And, and, and I, I would say it was the, the mental part of it that really brought it down and it was probably an escalation. Yeah. And, and, and what I love about that and your ability to self-reflect on that is you can probably say, you know what, if that happens again, if I, if I lose my mojo on Friday before the long workout and I have beer and maybe I have a pizza and I know it's going to be hot in the morning, I'm going to consciously choose to do my long workout instead on Sunday. I'm going to give myself that day off. Maybe tomorrow I do strength training or I'm going to stretch or I do a short workout or something like that. But I know myself well enough now because you've experienced it and you know the data. And instead, I'm going to set myself up for success really well on Sunday. I'm actually going to go to bed early. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. so I can get out before the humidity. Mm -hmm. So uh, my, my point in all of this is when you do journal what you've been doing, you can start making those connections. And now you can know the difference between this is what my body needs versus this is my head just talking myself out of it. I'm just being a wimp. And sometimes we have those wimpy days, but usually they're always preceded by some other sequence of events like pizza and beer or, you know, other sort of depressants, I'll say, I'll Mm -hmm. call them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The journaling's a great point. I've uh, fallen in love with journaling. I know Apostoli has has done it. Um and it, the one thing is is all these thoughts stay, stay in our head or like 
oh, let's go back to my example. I wasn't really thinking about all the negative thoughts that were leading me to not have that run. But when you start journaling, um, like I was doing uh, like the, the artist way where it's like three pages of just unspoken thought, whatever it is. And a lot comes out in three pages. That's a lot of words. And you can really help flush a lot of things out that's that's going on in your mind because it's now out on paper. You're writing about it. You're thinking about it. It's not kind of suppressed in the back. And it's a good way for you to be able to kind of shift your mindset. I, I assume you, you see that through your athletes. Is there like anything you kind of, you know, tell your, your, your athletes, um, like tips and tricks when it comes to journaling that can help them improve? Yeah. Uh, one that I love, and I think you guys are going to like this. I think the listeners will like this too, is after every workout, write down three to five things you're grateful for from that workout or that you're proud of. So what happens when you start to do that is you start looking for the things that went well, as opposed to the things that you didn't do. So for example, let's say you have to go out and do uh, five one mile repeats and you want to get those in under a certain time. Let's just for easy measure, say eight minutes and you end up doing three of them at 8.03 and you do one of them at uh, 7.59 and you do your last one at you know 8.06. And so you didn't quite make the goal, but when you can shift out of uh, having to have hit those markers and you can start writing down, you like, you might, you might come up with, wow, I didn't hit my goal, but it was really windy today. And I'm really proud that I kept up with my pace through that headwind. Mm-hmm. And, and these, this isn't a way of trying to get a cap out, but it's a way of recognizing how you stayed in the game or how you shifted. You might, you might even end up writing. Um, I really noticed, I call them gremlins. Those, those negative voices that shoot you down. I really noticed my gremlins popping up, but I didn't let them take control. I actually shifted my thought into the memories of times when I've done other hard workouts and I was able to get through that mile repaint much easier. Mm. Uh, Jill, I come from a culture Maybe it's maybe it's my my family. Just I come from a culture, Greek culture, where sometimes it's not a good thing to say "good job." It's like it's better to not um, reinforce the positive. It's like only say "good job" when you finish the marathon type of deal, right? If I can make a connection between you know what I'm trying to say, it's it's uh, don't reward the small steps or and the reason behind that mentality is like if you massage people too much and you tell them what you know good job then they or or the, I think we have that here too. There's many people they're like you shouldn't give a star to every, all the students, right? You shouldn't reward all the students. Only reward the ones that do uh, truly do better than others. Um, what would you say to those people of this approach? Because I agree, I have found that. I agree with this approach of reinforce the positive. And no, it does not make you complacent. It actually pushes you more forward. But how would you how would you explain it to those people that are that are against this type of mentality? I would say that that's very old school mentality and it needs to just be thrown away. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We, we want to feel good. Again, if our lot in life is to feel joy, then why not feel joy as much as possible? And we can feel joy as much as possible when we celebrate. I celebrate when I take out the garbage for crying out loud. 
<laughs> I hate taking out the garbage. And so my brain can go into, oh, I hate taking out the garbage. He's supposed to take out the garbage. I don't want to take out the garbage. And if I unpack it, it goes way back to my childhood and blah, blah, blah. But so it's still somewhat alive. But so, you know, in, in an effort to stop fueling that, I like, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to think about it much. I'm going to remember that the last time I took out the garbage, I celebrated and it felt really good to celebrate. And so I'm not going to think about taking the garbage out. I'm going to think about the celebration at the end. So, yeah, I, I, I coach everybody I work with to celebrate the small things because guess what? It success fuels more success. You know, when I feel successful, it makes me want to be more successful. But when I feel like I have failed, then I just kind of want to go back to bed. And it always feels better to be successful and have those feelings of joy inside. Yeah. So you're, we talked a lot about your athletes here. What are some of the different things you, um, like coaching types that you have, um, you know, that if, if our listeners are interested and want to work with you that you offer. Yeah. So I do a lot of private coaching right now. I help people up level their lives, uh, whether that's in sport, life or business relationship, financial pleasures, um, just helping them redirect their thoughts, give permission to feel, feel the emotions and allow their emotions to be their internal compass. I think so many of us have gotten lost in sort of this old school thinking, which is you just got to keep pushing really hard, push hard, push hard, push hard. And then we burn out. You know, so many of us are burned out, but we think that that's the American dream. That's what you have to do in order to achieve. And, and there is an easier way. There's a much easier way in a way that actually feels better. And, and that doesn't mean that we don't still have ups and downs but we actually can recognize that the downs also have value. It's kind of like the stock, right? You, you want to have higher highs and higher lows. And so in the in, when you're working the stock, you don't want to think that you're always going to lose when you're in a low. That's not the way it works because there are really great ways to make money when it's on the downside. It's much the same in life. We have really incredible lessons to learn in the valleys. In fact, they tend to be our best teachers. I'm sure you've had experiences that didn't feel so good in the moment, but they were your best teachers. You know, might have been that that girl that you were dating and then you broke up and you're like, oh, my God, my life is never going to be the same. You're like, thank God it's never going to be the same. It's going to be better you know, that's what we're looking for on those lows. And so the work that I do is to help people to really recognize the value in that and to start um, relinquishing the judgment so that there is more joy and lightness and fun in life. Jill. Yeah. Oh, Amen. You said it beautifully. Um, this is a wonderful conversation, Jill. You've have, you gave me so much knowledge. You gave our listeners so much knowledge and we greatly appreciate it. But before we let you go, we have to do our cream city pacers rapid fire <laughs> questions. Do you think you're ready for these? I'm a little nervous, but okay. 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 Let's do it. I used we'll to be fast in high school. I don't know about the, <laughs> the, the quickness of the brain these days. <laughs> Well, the best part is, is they're not really rapid fire. That's okay. we usually these can, I think the other episode, this section was like 20 minutes. So <laughs> <laughs> we should change the name of it, but it's, it's, it is what it is now. Okay. Let's, I'll throw you a softball here. What is your favorite route to run in Milwaukee? 
Uh, favorite run to, route to run in Milwaukee is the Milwaukee River Trail. I used to go go in from Estabrook and go down to the river and run the loop. Love that trail. That is an underrated trail. And it's like 10 miles, too, if you do the whole thing. It's yes. solid. Yeah. So Tina Jones, when she was... Um, during one of my Ironman years, I had to do, it was, it was 2015. Cause it was for my 50th birthday and I had to run 15 miles. It was the five thing. And so I ended up doing that loop twice in order to get 15 miles. And she did one of the loops with me. Oh, that's, that's a great story. That's yeah. a lot of river trail running. Um, yeah. and you haven't been here a few, for a few years, but they've done a lot of renovations to it. So it's even more of a beautiful trail than it has been in the past. So kudos to the... Yeah, I almost don't want to give out the secret. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel sometimes. All right. If you could bring one person to Milwaukee to run with you, who would it be? So speaking of the, the river trail, Catherine Switzer, when I was uh, in Milwaukee working with Girls on the Run, uh, we were able to bring her in to... Uh, be a guest speaker. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Catherine Switzer, she was the first official woman to complete the Boston Marathon when it was a man's only race. She's she's a phenomenal person, very inspiring. Talk about wanting to surround yourself with, with upbeat people. She would definitely be one of those. But um, I actually... Uh, was in charge of like being her assistant while she was here. And so I was driving her around town and she said, I really want to find a trail. Where could I go and run on a trail? And I sent her to that very river trail. So I would love to come back and, and run that trail with her. That I didn't know that. That's super cool that she's run that trail. Yes. That makes me excited the next time I run that trail. I'm going to think about that. Okay. What is your favorite pre-race pump up song? Oh God, um, and I am a, a, a song person. So uh, you know, I grew up in the my high school years were in the '80s, and so it's like ACDC, Back in Black. Um, I even have some 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 One Republic. One of my uh, Iron Man year uh, theme songs was "Till the Love Runs Out" by One Republic. That was a really big one for me. I love it. Those are both great songs that do the trick too. Um, Avasola, you want to jump in here? Yeah. I, how about books? Any books you would recommend? Uh, it could be related to running or it could be a book that could have inspired you. I know earlier you mentioned something about the stop sign and I can't help but think that you are a thick, what, what is his name? I don't know how to pronounce it, but is it Thich Nhat That's That's a good book where he mentions about the stop sign. But is there any book that you would recommend? that helps your athletes or our listeners? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure how much this one would help athletes, but I actually have it here called Big Magic by uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. And she talks about the power of, of creatively living. And she talks a lot about how fear keeps us from living fully and how you can um, live side by side with fear, but not allow it to take place, uh, excuse me, not allow it to uh, take the lead. So it, it's it's very, um, covers a lot of topics that cross over into all aspects of life. There's another one, and I'm so sorry, I can't think of the name of it right now, um, that um, it's about the woman who swam from Cuba to Florida and about her experience that was, 
amazing. Maybe you cut that out because I can't remember the name of it. Well, let me see <laughs> and if I, I can't can... remember her name. Is it uh, Find the Way by Deanna yes, Na- Nyad. Uh, Nyad. Yes. Yes. All right. We'll add that to the list of add that books. To the list. Yeah. That the last one I would share is Soul Shaping by Siri Lindley, who is a world-class uh, triathlete, and she's now a coach. But she talks about her experience of getting into triathlon and then really just finding herself because of the sport and how it was... Um, so life-changing and she ended up coming out as a as a gay woman and how life-changing that was but the sport actually helped her gain the confidence and strength in order to be able to do that well these are three amazing book recommendations so we appreciate all three of those is there a i i you you do a lot of triathlons and what and our next question is is about gear so I know you triathletes love your gear, uh, but is there any one piece of gear for running that you would, that you couldn't live without? My headset. I have to have my music. So I have to say if I, right if, if I, if I'm racing, of course you can't use music in, in triathlon um, or use a headset, but in training, I have to have my headset. I have to have my music. I mean, there have, t- there have been times I've driven to uh, my run or a trail and I forgot my headset and I go home to get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's dedication. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely your favorite piece of gear. All right. Yeah. I love that. Uh, uh, do they not allow uh, for you to use or is it just the fact that you're swimming and you're not able to use it? No, if you're racing in triathlon, even just in the run, you're not allowed to use a headset. So it's even not like music. marathons. Even in marathons, you can't. Like if you place first at Lakefront had headphones in, I don't think you'd be qualified to win. Okay, good, good. Thanks. I'm glad you told me, Alex. <laughs> this is the next time you place first. I could first. disqualify yeah. this year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Funny over there. All right, our last question, Jill. What is one piece of advice you would like to pass on to new runners? To new runners, um, small steps. You know, don't don't um, don't try to keep up with the with the Joneses. Don't try to keep up with um, that person who's already out there been running or think that you can't do it. Uh, small, consistent steps. That's the that's the best way to make big changes. I always find that people who think they can do a nice big fat leap, um, typically they might be able to do it and land okay on the other side, but it doesn't last very long. So. You want it to be sustainable, small, consistent steps. I love Sp- it. Spoken like a good, good coach. Last <laughs> week's episode, Joe Vitrano, another very good, uh, you know, uh, good coach. Same, same, same thing, right, Alex? Is that what he echoed? Is that attitude of yeah, take it easy on yourself? Don't be so hard. Don't try to look to your side what they're doing, what the other schools are doing for for track and ca- cross country. And then, for, and then the week before that, we had Lucas Florsheim, who won the 2019 WIA Cross Country Championship. Uh, he's from Shorewood. And he said his new advice is get out there every day. It doesn't need to be fast. If it's a mile, it's a mile, but stay consistent. And there we go. This is all flowing together perfectly. So, Jill, we appreciate this. This was an awesome conversation. Where can people find more about you? Yeah, they can go to my website. It's uh, www.jillmsummers, it's S-O-M-M-E-R-S, 
www.thepeacefulpeoplesocialcommitment.com. Uh, feel free to uh, check that out. And uh, there's a contact form on there. So if you want to reach me there, um, I'm also on Facebook. Jill M. Summers is my business. And um, I have a really awesome collaborative Facebook community group called Mind, Body, Belly, where we deliver all content helped uh, to help you up level your thought process, your emotions, your nutrition, and your movement. Mind, Body, Belly. Ooh, I'm going to go join that group if that's okay. Absolutely. Boom. Awesome. Jill, this was amazing. I appreciate it. Um, thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, you You're doing great things, guys. Thank you for doing that. Just incredible stuff, Apostoli. I have a page of notes that I'm looking at of things that I need to start incorporating into my uh, daily life, whether it's my personal life or my running life or just my like journey on this fitness life. I tell you what, the whole mindset thing is something that I... I'm starting from that conversation with Jill, opening up my mind to be like, I am the number one doubter. There is no like, hey, block out the haters or block out the doubters. Like it's me sometimes that's holding myself back. And there's a lot of self-reflection that needs to happen in the coming weeks for me. But man, Jill, thank you so much for coming on. That was that was just a wealth of knowledge, and we appreciate you so much. Tina, if you're listening, thank you for recommending Jill. Absolutely amazing. We appreciate you both. Keep doing everything you guys are both doing, because you rock. Yeah, what a great interview. And I don't know if you noticed, but she was kind of interviewing us, too. She was absorbing everything we were saying and that that's a such a key element of a good coach and a good trainer you you understand your person the person ahead of you not there's no one size fits all uh solution you know so great to see that yeah my favorite quote that i jotted down that came out of our conversation just now was go towards what you want rather than away from what you don't want that is so simple yet never really thought of it that way and there was a great example with your speech, right? And, and like, you just always think of like, you try to talk yourself out of it when really you just need to talk yourself into it. Right, exactly. Crazy. Great, 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 great stuff. I've been listening back to this episode a few times just to get all the, the juice. So let's give, um, let's give some listener shout outs. Uh, so actually new friend, uh, new friend of myself, listener of the pod, John Sterner. Um, so John and I, a couple weeks ago, I ran this uh, fun run with some guys with Bill Hutchinson, past guest of the show and some buddies of his called the, the unofficial Milwaukee mile. And it's like this awesome oval loop over on like 29th and Capitol. And John's been listening to our past few episodes um, with Joe and Lucas about the connection of running and academics. And he actually shared a book with us. um, And he's saying basically the short answer is yes, exercise is good for the brain. So he sent us this link to this book called Spark, the Revolutionary New Science of Exercise and the Brain. It's an 
audiobook, and it's by John, I don't know, how do you say that, Ratty? Ratty? I'm never going to be good with names. Spell it, spell it. R-A-T-E-Y. R-A-T-E-Y. Yeah, it could be many things. You're not bad with names. It could be many things. Um, thanks. So I haven't listened to this yet, but, um, John's an awesome guy. So highly recommend you guys all check that out. If you're interested in that, I know I, uh, actually have an audible credit, so I'm going to use it on this and hopefully dive into it this weekend on a run. Um, another huge shout out. So, um, really long time listener of the show, Anthony, um, Miller, Let's see here. I'm pulling up his info. Anthony has won. He won a pair of cost headphones off of Soli, the other uh, in our contest we did. And he participated in our MKE Run for Justice because uh, I had to send him his shirt. He actually lives in northern Illinois, um, but his daughter or his kid goes to school here at Marquette. So he has some connection and listens to us. So shout out from Illinois. But um, last week I was talking about the Theragun and he asked what model did I buy? Uh, sorry if you missed it. So big Theragun guy. I almost need like a referral code here, but uh, Anthony, I bought the Elite. So that's the middle of the row. There's three of them. From doing my research and talking to a few friends who have it, that one's probably the best bang for your buck. Unless here you go. This is why I told you should buy the most expensive one. If you are in a really bad car crash and you need to get to spots that you necessarily can't reach, there's like the adjustable angle for the for the massage head. That is like the only reason I've seen why you should get it is because it can bend and go like if you have a really weird spot that you can't reach and you need to like bend the extension, then you can do that. So this is why you're not the spokesperson for for this company though because you use the example of a car accident i don't think that's what they they say <laughs> so, buy this in case you get into a car accident it'll come in very handy no no it's no insurance. So the, listen the guy who started theragun i'm gonna sound crazy so someone needs to fact check me here he got in a car crash and he couldn't find anything to recover so he invented the theragun oh okay Maybe that's where the car crash is so coming use that from. a little backwards. Okay, I see. Very nice. That that's great. Great insight. Pack checkers out there, prove us wrong. Or prove me right. I don't care. Either one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, dude, do you have anything else? This is a great episode. This was a great show. I loved hanging out with all of you. You guys are amazing. That's that's it, folks. That's it, folks. Yo, folks, until next Friday, keep on running.